Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. Uh, we've assembled the team again for another episode, uh, or a new episode, discussing and breaking down Avengers Endgame. Um, last year, we had the same group on together, so uh, since that was a, a, an exciting team and fun group of people, we decided to bring everyone back. So in addition to my co-host, Mike, welcome again, Mike. <laughs> um, uh, our regular, or our, sorry, our returning guests this time are Alicia from Adam Tickets. Hello. And Aman, a contributor to Empire and radio critic, as he has allowed me to introduce him as. So welcome, Aman. <laughs> what's up, what's up? Um, so, like, there, let's just get right into it, because there needs no to be no more introduction. A year ago, almost to the day, I don't remember exactly when, but we recorded an episode discussing Infinity War, which was the big movie of that year in terms of uh, the Avengers team coming together and everyone from the Marvel movies. And now... A year later, they've concluded it. The first and most obvious thing is that this movie is clearly a continuation of Infinity War, despite the Russos insisting that they were individual movies. Um, but of course, they still feel individual in what they are. And um, so to just jump into it, and obviously, last uh, note before we get going, is that uh, this will obviously be spoiler-filled. We hope you've all seen it. Uh, for those who are listening by now, if not, then you're going to learn everything about the movie, and that's not the way to experience it. Um, but uh, obviously there's a lot to discuss here. This is one epic three-hour movie with a lot going on. Um, and I'll start by just saying my quick thoughts on it, and then I want to get everyone's thoughts on it. Because, Alicia, I know you've been teasing on Twitter something that I have no idea what it is. And what <laughs> from you. Yeah. Um, so my thoughts are that uh, I actually like this in more than Infinity War because it, it, it the, the, the still bitter aftertaste of Infinity War in my mind is that it ends with that we're going to see what's going to happen. And Endgame is finally that. This is what's going to happen. And they don't, they don't hold back at all. Like, at the final fight, you see them all fight. You know, you get all of that. And to me, that was just so satisfying to finally get this in a Marvel movie with everything coming together. I think they, they nailed everything in terms of uh, getting the movie to, to stick the landing of 22 movies now um, and really deliver something that's completely satisfying and both an emotional and a visceral superhero experience in the cinema level. Um, and I really loved it. So that's my introduction to what I enjoyed about it. And I want to get into more and more and more. So who wants to begin <laughs> after this? Who wants to start? Because I think, okay, sorry, last thing I want to mention before we get into it is we've all seen it at least two times now, right? I'll, I'll, I'll follow up because I literally rushed home for the podcast from my second viewing. So I'm fresh and ready to rock. But not that anyone else here isn't. We all want to talk about this movie. The nice thing about it, I think sort of the most general reaction that I can give is that I'm just really happy that it has so many moments to discuss. Like it's not it's not reliant upon the sort of hypothesis or the the speculation of what's next. We can get into that and I have thoughts, but I just love that in the moment so many things happened. Some of them were a long time coming. Some of them were total surprises and I feel like and even some of those were probably a little bit of both. And it, it delivered all of that at a pace that feels confident and assured of itself. Like, we know what we're delivering here is worth it by the time the credits roll. We don't have to rush in and start with a crazy opening action sequence to establish a villain because we've already done that. We don't have to work too much. Like, they gave us a lot of exposition, but it always still felt like it left a little bit to the imagination a little bit to the sort of uh, 
the plot hole nerds out there who want to try and nitpick every detail like it's not a fictional movie. I, I think there's a there's a lot to dissect, but at the end of the day, it was just really entertaining. It had a lot of jokes. It had them in the right spots, and it just sort of like it tickled every bone in the body of someone who wants to see a movie. What more could you ask from a tentpole blockbuster movie than all of those things? I agree for the most part. I think it was, uh, as Thanos would say, perfectly balanced. Um, I definitely had some nitpicks. I will disagree with you that all of the jokes were perfectly placed. Um, but I will get into that in a bit. Um, but I, again, it, that's a super kind of minor nitpick because with a, with a movie with so many moving pieces, I was really kind of floored at how much time they allowed for character beats and genuine emotion and, um, you know, that balance between action and just honest um, character development. And I was I was really impressed with how they kind of navigated everything throughout the course of a three hour movie that that didn't really feel like three hours uh, to me. And I, I thought they did a really excellent job of balancing all those just insane moving pieces. Yeah, that, that's... Go ahead, Anna. No, I was just gonna say that 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 one of my first questions going in was like, what is it gonna be three hours? Like, what are they gonna fill up? And I think what you said, Alicia, is like letting these moments play is part of what is good in letting it be three hours. And and not to get into the the whole outside of the the, the movie discussion of like, why three hours? How does it? You know, that like that whole thing was so annoying. But it's also like this is actually good that they allow themselves to 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 have that room to show these scenes and to play it out and to let it be what it is and not have to try and condense it into like 90 minutes or something, even two hours. So, Aman, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I mostly agree with everything uh, that you guys have said. I would only add that, you know, if I felt it while I was watching, you know, the final act take place a little bit, and it dawned on me even more watching the end credits, but especially in the days since, this is a really special movie experience, and I consider myself, I mean, this is probably going to sound a bit cheesy, but I think we're very lucky to uh, be able to be, be in a position to fully appreciate the magnitude of what Marvel uh, have done. Um, and that's just, you know, it's a really special thing to see. Um, uh, yeah, as I'm, I'm sure we'll get into, this is not a perfect movie, um, it has flaws, but just... Uh, the fact that we, that they stuck the landing in a very satisfying way. I mean, of all the sort of you know, words I've seen bandied about um, in discussion about this movie in the past few days, satisfying has been the one which keeps cropping up, and that's exactly right. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love this movie. <laughs> it's great. Uh, so yeah, that's my initial thoughts, I guess. Yeah, and I think I think part of the reason I'm glad we've all seen it twice is that there's so much more to get get on the second time like someone um another critic i think it was kevin uh kevin mccarthy wrote on twitter about how like his second viewing you you instead of being anticipating what's going to happen and, and thinking about like what is it going to be in that tense moment of what are they doing and what's next you you know everything and you can actually then appreciate more of what you're seeing on the second time and like look for the little beats and also in the middle like second act on the time heist Second time around, I'm watching it, trying to like figure it out more and figure out what's going on. Not that I don't understand it, but just 
like appreciating the three different timelines or well four with the the 70s mm -hmm. one and where they're all going with that um and i think the first thing i want to get into because this is the, the start of it is almost that i love how the the thematic introduction to this movie is that the oh it opens with them doing what everyone has been talking about for a year, which is like, why don't they just go kill Thanos? And specifically, why doesn't Captain Marvel just go kill Thanos? And she basically does. She just comes in, she's like, I'm gonna go kill Thanos. They go do that in like 20 minutes of time. And then this, um, you know, and this is uh, sets, what I see as the emotional core of the film is that they kill Thanos. And the idea is that that, and this has been in a lot of films and in, in, in pop culture in general and, and literature is that, that idea of vengeance doesn't actually lead to anything. If anything, it leads to more grief and more suffering. And then you get the five years later title card and you see that every single character has now had to deal with that five years of not only losing their friends, but the fact that killing Thanos did nothing and gained nothing for them. And then every single character has different ways of dealing with it. And throughout the film, there are, there's always that line of like, are you okay? And everyone's saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we all know that the you know, saying I'm fine is really a, you know, a clue for they're not fine. Um, and that that becomes the emotional corner. I was so, I was so impressed that like, they're like, all right, in the first 20 minutes, we'll go literally kill Thanos and do what Amon, you said on the last podcast, which was like, go for the head, just get it done, <laughs> like mm -hmm. chop it off. And then that happens. And then the rest of the movie begins. I thought that was crazy cool. And also like a dark way to really bring the audience into this specific movie and what we go through the rest of the time. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely right. It it definitely means that you you you, you don't know what's coming after they do something uh, like that in the first twenty minutes. And I love the focus on the characters in in that opening act uh, where you really deal with the fallout of their failure. Um, and the highlight really is not even the original six; it's um, Ant Man reuniting with his daughter. That's the one which really you know hit me the hardest, I mm. think. Um, and Paul Rudd is doing, well, both of them are doing some amazing acting in that sequence. Um, so, yeah, I, the, the first 90, even, uh, I've seen some people describe it as sort of slow. It takes a while to get it going. But I appreciate, you know, if, 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 if that means that we're getting, like, you know, contemplated character moments, um, the likes of which we do here, then I'm all for it. I really liked it. Yeah. Uh Alicia, what, the, what what is your thing? Yeah, give us talk, please tell me. Uh, <laughs> I want to know. Uh, my thing that I had a gripe with. Yeah, because it's like, it, from my interpretation, you enjoyed so much of the movie, but there's this one thing you've been. Dang I, I love. Desperate I, to find out this. I loved. I love the movie, but after two viewings, I still cannot get behind the way they frame Thor's storyline. It but, felt like it turned it into a three-hour fat joke. And it, to me, it felt like, don't get me wrong, I love Thor Ragnarok. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. But Ragnarok version of Thor was not the one that belonged in Endgame. And it felt like, I understand they were going for the idea that he was grieving and didn't know how to handle it and, you know, PTSD and was so kind of spiraling that he had gotten so far away from himself. But I felt like they extended that sequence, that gag, way too long into the movie and it kind of ended up playing like it just kind of felt like it they played it for cheap laughs and it did not it did not work for me and i, I love completely agree more. i just it didn't work for me i said I the same Thor. thing to alex i said the same thing to alex coming thank out of you. my beginning <laughs> well, I, 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 think, I think i think it works 
up until like the 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 scene with his mother is fantastic, and the fact to the, the, the fact that I was really sort of working in that sequence. It's after that there's a problem. And in the press screening that I was in, there were laughs when there shouldn't have been laughs because people were looking at Thor and chuckling. And this and is like, I think, I think that this is, this, I think I heard chuckles in the scene where we've just lost Black Widow and sort of the rest of the Avengers are mourning and it pans to Thor and there are chuckles. And there should not be chuckles in that scene. Yeah, um, it was so I, I was I was expecting at some point, you know, I don't know how, I was expecting at some point him him to get buff again. It didn't happen. Um and I think eventually, I've seen it twice now, and eventually we get over that visual. But you know, it takes it takes a while um to sort of overcome that for sure. It's also Sorry, I was I was just gonna say it was the same thing like at our, our regular screening, like the first scene where he's like they show him with like the big belly and everything and he's like has rock and headlock. There are two girls behind us that just lost it laughing and they could not stop laughing and it was so annoying. But also and like <laughs> to the point where you couldn't even hear like the oh, you know, that's... uh the Hulk telling him, like, hey, you helped me out when I was like in a spiral or whatever, but and I thought, you know what? I don't blame them because he looks like like that is there will never be a movie or almost never a movie, at least not in that context. Like that was absolutely played as a visual gag. And that was it was a fat joke gag and it was the wrong way to play it. And I I have a friend that she loves the Marvel movies and she is uh, she's very heavy set. And that like took her out of it. because She's like, I felt like I was the butt of a joke there. And it just it, it like took me out of the movie. So I just, I understand what they're going for. I just don't think that him to a fat joke um, I, I, I or can, dragging I can, it out so long. Yeah. And this is, I'm, I've heard from other friends too, who like, this is the one thing that makes them to uh, uh, question, you know, every, that, like their love for the film was this part of it. But I, I, I'm not a slim guy. I'm a, I'm a bigger guy too. And it didn't bother me because I don't, the one thing I have that I was thinking is like, okay, you're you're right. They can play it at the beginning, but actually, to counter you guys' point, I was impressed by the fact that they did play it out the entire film. Because what I thought is like, if they're gonna magically or whatever it is, he's gonna suddenly be thin, sexy Thor again, which is also a stereotype, the thin, sexy superhero. Yeah. How would that have happened? Like, how would they have? And I know that's a movie where logic doesn't matter. But how logically, like, would there have been a, a an exercise montage with Thor? You know, like, or would oh. there have been? You know, would he have just used his magic powers to make himself thin again? Like how not, I actually I'm appreciate not, it. Oh, it I don't I don't care. Oh, I'm not mad about him being able to get his powers back or, you know, whatever, like while still being heavy set. I think that was the only thing I appreciated about it. It just kind of felt really unearned. Like when he goes back in time and he gets the hammer back, I was like, dude, he is so not worthy at this point. Like he has literally <laughs> neglected his entire people for five years now and he's just been walt like that is not like if that's worthy like it just well, but he, he built the yeah. new asgard at least he was working that i know that he's him lazily Did sitting at home build, playing video games is it really... or was it the other ones that built it like i just i don't know like i really love thor i just felt like okay we've had a whole like the last two movies like have been like his storyline like we don't need to focus so much on him and I, I i don't know it just felt really uneven in tone and it felt like ragnarok thor was dropped in an end game and i just didn't that didn't work for me tonally i was it's true that you know oh, uh, oh 
I had something in my head and that's completely gone. Um, that's what I was going to say. Um, I was going to say, it is true that Thor is the worst king ever. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, abandons his people, um, <laughs> drunk and, you know, so, yeah. Sounds like the greatest it's, king it's, ever, is what you're telling me. No, no, I'm not, no. I'm making it just, and it's not, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, it's a shame because, you know, at the end of Ragnarok, you think that, um, you know, that's, that, I, I love, I love what, what's done with Thor's arc in that film, but it's not really, we're not really given a chance to see the results of it before we're plunged into Infinity War and Endgame. Um, so we haven't really gotten to see um, Thor, you know, properly as a king, and the, and the little that we do see of him in, in Endgame is, you know, he's, he's, he's a terrible king. So, um, you know, I think the decision to... I, he realizes it because obviously he makes the decision at the end to hand it over to Valkyrie, but it would have been nice to, um, at some point, see Thor as, you know, to 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 see Thor as a villain and to to, to see Thor as a villain and to see him sort of put the lessons that he's learned in the previous films into action. We don't we don't really get a chance to see that, which I think is a shame. Well, tech, I guess, I don't know for sure, but I don't think this is his last film like it is with a couple of other actors. And the only the only other thought I'll have um, sort of defending this before we, we can continue is, is this idea that we've seen Thor be Thor up till Ragnarok and now this one in Infinity War and the other Avengers. Like he's, to me, I'm a little tired of him being the same kind of like arrogant king guy, especially because we'd seen that in three other movies before. And, I, and I'm glad that, uh, Hemsworth, and I don't know whose decision it was, whether Hemsworth had a part in deciding how much to push this character in that way or whether it was all 100% the Russos and Feige. But I, but I wonder if Hemsworth was like, hey, I kind of want to do something different, especially for something a movie like this. And they could write it around it like, okay, he's grief and it plays out this way. And they did it something different. And it wasn't just the same Thor we've seen. And I know that's why people love Thor is for the, the person he has been in those movies. But I was a little bit worried that like, I don't want to see the same character for the eighth time now doing the same things and acting the same way. And part of the reason I love Ragnarok is that it's so much of a curveball in that sense. We do see so much different stuff going on with Thor and his whole universe and, and all the Asgardians and everything crazy going on. So I, I don't know. That's, I, I love the Thor, uh, the Thorbowski aspect of it, but that's just, um, I think that's the biggest sore point amongst Everyone I know who has otherwise loved the movie is is that, and I think it's it's worthy of discussion because um, we can all agree on so much in the movie, but the, the the points where we disagree is where we end up having some interesting thoughts on it. I'm gonna stay Absolutely. out of it because you guys have all covered a lot of bases, but I'm gonna add <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna add one other thing, which is that to the film's credit or whoever's decision it may have been, I think they did a really good job, at least for me, in the core action sequences of working around it because if if it was sort of front and center and especially that final battle it would have been a significant distraction i think it's fair to say it's a distraction in more sort of heartfelt and dialogue driven moments uh, that aren't about that or about him uh though i i think it it was a probably a really tough thing to work around action wise. And you, you, you usually, you only get like medium close-ups with him in the action, or at least other reverse angles that don't really show his belly. 
And I think that's a yeah. that was a very active choice in my opinion, and I noticed it a lot first time I watched the movie. I was just like kind of wondering how they were going to deal with that when push came to shove, because he's sort of like that mad wizard now. He's not really necessarily the Thor we've come to know um, as the strongest Avenger in the in the <laughs> typical sense. But he's like sort of when he when he swats the both of his weapons together. It has a very oh sort of gosh. like mad. It, it, it's so it's like a wizard moment, and I loved that because he sort of now appear now has that like look to him. But it, it, then at the same time, they're gonna they're gonna devalue it even more when Guardians Three comes out, and he's you know a little bit of time has passed, and he's probably worked it all back, and now he's buff again. But the last comment I would make is another moment that I thought they had a they they had a chance to really like mess up any earned respect that the film may have been getting getting from other things was when he's standing next to Quill. I was fully primed for Quill to make a fat joke because I mean that was the moment in Guardians 2 when or I'm sorry in Infinity War when he shows up and they sort of make fun of Quill for gaining a little weight. You would have expected him to kind of make a fat joke or at least some kind of quip at Thor. You know, you know, something along the lines of him being more fit than him now. But he didn't do that. So I was happy at least in that moment where I expected it to get bad. They didn't do that. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I uh, I will say, because I, I don't want to, like, get too, you know, negative because I, I don't want to mislead because genuinely loved the movie. Um, to switch gears for a minute, I will say that the one performance that um, – really surprised me in a good way. I mean, there are a lot of great performances, but man, I feel like Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Black Widow, like I feel like she in many ways was kind of the soul of this film, especially through the first part where they just allowed her to be so raw and so show so many emotions um, that so many scenes, she was just openly, you could see her emotions on the surface and just how frayed and raw she was. And I really, really appreciated seeing that side of, the you know normally cool and collected uh, Black Widow, and I think it shows how far she'd come since the very first Iron Man. Like I feel like she's always the unsung Avenger, and even though she's the glue that has always held the team together, and so I really appreciated this movie. Kind of um, gave her more credit than the other movies have. And it yeah, totally really made happy to sense. It. it totally made sense totally made for her sense. way of fighting. Yeah. Uh, the depression or fighting the, circ- the the consequences was to lose herself back in her work. And I like that. Like, that's something a lot of people do. And yes, like some people uh, eat and drink and some people, uh, f- you know, fight and get angry like Hawkeye. And some people uh, just th- there are different ways that everybody deals with that, uh, th- that emotional resonance of what happened. And, and all of them got a chance to shine. But I was so happy to see like Scarlett Johansson flex her acting muscles again. Cause she has been doing all these action roles that she doesn't really get a lot of opportunity to, to truly act. And she's super talented. Like she started her career with some incredible performances before she became a, a mega millionaire actress playing superhero and action roles where she doesn't necessarily get as many emotional moments. And so it was just nice to see that. And it was, it was so raw. Like you said, Alicia, it was just, it was like really good, solid, dialogue-driven acting early in the film, too. But then I have to ask now, are you are you upset at 
her being the one who has to, and I don't know how to describe it as a sacrifice herself or, or, uh, or Hawkeye letting her go. But, um, I was surprised by that choice when she's the soul stone choice. And I mean, of course, Hawkeye has a family. You can't send him away, but I don't know. That intrigued me. What is your thoughts? Initially, I was surprised um, because, you know, not only is she an OG Avenger, she's the only female Avenger on the squad. Um, and, you know, skipping ahead a little bit, the when they have their uh, big women of the MCU team-up moment, you definitely feel Black Widow's absence. Um, but I think, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think it's it's it works and and it's right, and I think just because she doesn't make it to the end of the movie doesn't mean the ending of her journey here is necessarily premature, um, because you know everything which Natasha has alluded to in previous movies and which I'm sure we're going to get more of in uh, her solo film, which I'm guessing is now going to be a prequel. Um, is that, you know, she had nothing. She was fighting on the wrong side. She was fighting for herself, but through, uh, you know, coming through, through joining the Avengers and becoming part of this family, you know, she's changed. You can sort of, you know, chart her change from film to film. And it ends with her sacrificing herself for this family and for, you know, trillions and basically, you know, wiping the red from her ledger in the process. And I think that's a fitting end uh, for that character. And I think um, the, that, that journey from sort of, you know, where she starts to, where she ends is going to get even more pronounced as we learn more about her in her solo film. I think it was really telling the scene where they find out she's, uh, she didn't make it and they're all just kind of at loose ends um, because she really, I wrote, this article for Birth Movies Deaths um, print magazine they do last year, and it was Black Widow, the Avenger, or the 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 you know one that holds the glue that holds the Avengers together, and um, it that scene really did feel like it, like she was the one piece that they would have obviously been devastated if it had been any of the original Avengers had been lost, but losing that was kind of like they lost a piece of themselves and they had no idea what to do or how to handle it. Um, and so I think that scene really kind of showed the impact she has on, on the Avengers. And so I, um, I don't know, I, I really appreciated that, that scene, just how all of them were just kind of like in disbelief. Yeah, that's it. There's a lot of those emotional moments in it that I think are, are very strong in a way I wasn't necessarily expecting from this. Like, I, I, I don't mean to say that action movies have no emotional moments, but after Infinity War, which is like intense action, 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 even even the opening of Endgame with uh, Clint's family just disappearing and then just like straight up in the movie, it's just so dark. And every time I saw it, like the audience was just dead silent. And I, and that there's a lot of those moments throughout, which I think if you analyze it in a, in a true cinematic way, these are important to the rest of the film being as satisfying as it is. And for everything that you see, including the ending moments being as completely earned as they are. Like we have to, we're, we're all human beings who are watching entertainment. Sure. But nonetheless, we have emotions that feel for them. And that, um, as I wrote in my article discussing this film, that basically 
this is 22 movies. We've been with them as much time as anyone and that the fans deserve that much uh, ability to get into these scenes and to feel these emotions and connect with the Avengers as much as the characters were seen on screen, as much as the actors were seen on screen. And I love that they let those moments exist. I mean, we talked about that already, but but I just reiterating again. I, I do think the uh, somebody brought up to me on the side that, uh, and I haven't concluded this conversation with them, but it was right before I went this afternoon. They said, well, if they have a time machine, why don't they just go back and get, uh, and, and get Scarlet, get Black Widow, get, get her and come back and just let her be alternate reality of herself within the sort of main MCU timeline reality and then just explain what happened and let her come back. I'm like, well, okay, first of all, that's not how, that, that, that's not what we're doing here. Okay. But, um, it does, it does sort of, there is an opening. They still have the ability to go back in time. And now we've sort of seen with Gamora that it's possible to just take somebody from a different reality or plane of existence or whatever and bring them over here ahead into your current timeline and just basically let them know what's going on. And I'm curious to see like how they deal with the Black Widow spinoff film because obviously it's going to, I think, clear up a lot of the Red Ledger background for her. But at the same time, you know, is that really just all prequel movie or are we going to deal with um, other sort of present day things that happened during the course of the movies that we saw? How are they even going to deal with that in a way that doesn't just make it feel throwaway? As I just want to see filler. what happened at Budapest. Can we I just want to see Budapest? <laughs> like, I would love if that so movie addressed everybody. I think yeah, maybe but... that is that's a great point. I, the, the whole thing or the whole sort of main act could just be Budapest. It's funny, too, because the same people that are like, well, they could have just gone back and gotten her out of the, a different timeline. I'm like, guys, you can't have it both ways. Like, y'all have been complaining that there are no real stakes in a Marvel movie, and then they kill somebody off for good, for dead, and now you're mad that they won't bring them back. And it's like, just pick one. You, you can't have it both ways. Like, there have to be stakes. Like, there has to be final, like, finality. There have to be stakes. Like, in this movie more than any other, there had to be someone that had to go for good and nothing and made me happier than <laughs> yeah. nothing made me happier than seeing Gamora's death handled the way they handled it which was to say look she's dead and she's not coming back but there's a different way of handling bringing her back as a character because we ultimately feel we need to do that in a sort of corporate way right like we need to maintain the sort of story of these actresses and actors and characters that people want to see but how can we do it in an in an authentic natural way and it makes sense it didn't feel like a cop-out to have it done the way they did it and i think now you know to do that a second time it would be a cop-out because there's no story to build around that moment for that necessity other than we miss natasha let's go get her back that's not that, that does it completely takes the stakes away it just turns it into a goofy hot tub time machine movie. It's not actually about massive stakes anymore. I will say I do deeply appreciate the backdoor uh, like uh, path we got to Loki's Disney Plus series. Uh, <laughs> the minute where he's yeah, standing there, was... he sees the case slide past, and then he looks down and sees the the test record. Was like, oh no! And then he picked it up and just looked around. Was like, bloop! And I'm like, oh yeah. no! I love yeah. that. 
Yeah. And so it delights me to think of just what havoc he's wreaking in other dimensions and timelines because he's one of my favorite characters because he's just so gleefully a force of chaos. And so I thought that was a really clever way of, um, that was a really clever way of like, oh, okay, so there's how that could lead into his Disney Plus series. And giving yeah, him that's... total control, too, over his own story, mm-hmm. yeah. I think was huge. They had to find a way to do that. Because otherwise, the questions are, you know, well, like, where is everybody else in, in all of this? And so uh, it, it made it super. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I'm really excited about Guardians 3, how they handle uh, Thor being now a part of it, a part of them, as well as uh, maybe the search for Gamora being a plot point. Maybe they just skip over it. I don't know. Winter Soldier and Falcon getting their own show now with the stakes that they have at play with Captain America legacy on the line. I do feel like that has to come into play with that. They can't just have it be a random sort of like in between the movies kind of story. That's got to be about the legacy of Captain America. And maybe they sort of share that role. So there's a lot of sort of there. Like I said before, there's not a ton to speculate, but I do think that there's a lot to consider about how each of those future movies is affected by what happens in here, especially Spider-Man being the end of phase three, as well as starting minutes after this movie. So Aman, I'll let you, you had something to say, but. I was just going to say, I don't like the idea of Bucky and Sam sharing the role because Steve has clearly chosen Sam. And 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 by the looks of it, um, Bucky agrees with that decision. Yeah, he nods at him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think Bucky um, wants that or will take it. But I, I I'm curious about how heavy that sort of burden is on Falcon, and whether he feels oh, yeah. ready for it. This was, Absolutely. you know, it's interesting. It could be a little bit of a reversal from the comics because in the comics, when Steve dies after Civil War, it's Bucky who takes up the shield, and then it's Natasha who supports. Bucky because he doesn't feel worthy. Um, but I, so I wonder if there's going to be a little bit of that there where it's Bucky that kind of provides emotional support for Sam, because really the only other one that knew Steve and the way those two did was Natasha and she's gone. So somebody needs to be there to support, you know, they need to be there to support one another. They're, they're the survivors of their like crew of four, you know? I mean, that there's also, a series of comics in which Steve bequeaths the shield to Sam and Sam does become uh, Captain America uh, as well. And it's interesting because those comics get into some really interesting issues. Uh, What would that be in Black Captain America and sort of the social issues which Sam sort of takes a stand on. And that leads to a lot of uh, interesting conflict. So I'll be very interested if Marvel decide to go that route too. I'm I'm also really uh there was a thing with at the end where that I'm like, oh, okay, how are they gonna play this or explain this in Spider-Man Far From Home? Because there's that scene at the end, the prologue, where Peter Parker gets back to school and he shows up and Ned's there. And I'm like, okay, so did Ned also get snapped? And then he just came back? Because if not, he should have graduated high school by now. I think I've read that all of Peter's friends got snapped. Um Well that's convenient. So- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would make sense that, you know, after they come back, they would want to go on holiday, hence the title Far From Home. Um, so, but yeah, I think I think I've read that all, all of Peter's friends got snapped. It, it seems like in the world where everyone got snapped that a lot of people are missing. Like someone else pointed out, and I found this kind of laughable, was like, 
uh, pointing out the the cell phones. They're like, like, does no one operate? you know, businesses anymore in the Snap universe. Every time, <laughs> yeah, because every time they saw the Snap universe, it's like all the boats are just sitting there. There's no cars anywhere. The baseball field's empty. I'm like, wouldn't they, you know, wouldn't half people come and play baseball again? I don't I don't know. But it seems like in the Snap world, so many people are gone. And I, I assume that at the end, Alicia, that it was like most of the people that they were reconnecting with were, were snapped or gone people. And there's there's a logical question of, and my assumption is that they didn't know they were snapped. They just kind of went away and then reappeared. And what Spider-Man said at the end, which he said, oh, suddenly we woke up and Strange was there and told us it's been five years. I think that's how everyone experienced it. Everyone's like, oh, all of a sudden I'm here and, you know, five years has passed. And that's all that there is. And no one really knows. I mean, that's a this film doesn't explore that idea of like, well, what are the people who were snapped and who came back now think and how do they deal with things? I, I tweeted this yeah I tweeted this uh earlier and I was like a couple days ago and it kind of took off a little bit I was like I loved Endgame but it was absolutely a like three hour exercise in my logical brain going but wait I don't how did they and my fangirl brain going shh just go with it my yeah. but how shh just go with it just go with it and I'm like okay I'll just I'm not gonna think about the t- I like I generally don't pick apart time travel too much because you always find plot holes yeah. but there were a few things like where did Valkyrie get the Pegasus from? Because didn't Hela wipe them all out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is, but this is the whole movie is like, and that's what yeah. I say to anyone who's like picking at this. I'm like, how, you can't explain how Thor uses lightning. You can't explain how anyone has their powers. Yeah. So why are we going to sit here and try and explain how time travel works, which doesn't exist anyway, you know? like I, and, I like to pretend that, yeah, that like Valkyrie just had like a Pegasus parked on, uh, what was the junk planet they were on, a Ragnarok? Like she just had one hidden away. Sure, like a spare, sure. <laughs> and it was just like hanging out waiting. So yeah, use your imagination, fill in the gaps. <laughs> there were two things in my second viewing, which was you know naturally a little bit more studious watching, that that I, I need cleared up in a way that I, I mean like it's fine if, if if there's no clarity, it's okay. I don't care that much, but I'm curious if there's an explanation you guys have. One, very unimportant. The the moment that. Pepper comes in as rescue did feel a little like, oh, hey, that's awesome. Like, it was such a cool moment. But also, like, uh, did someone call you to come here? What, what's, what about your daughter? Um, what if you die? What are you doing? They, they, like, I appreciate you being here to help, but, but uh, you can't die. You really can't die. And on top of it, like, everybody else comes out of the portals and then she shows up. So I, I and there's no explanation per se for that, but it was very much sort of caught me off guard uh, in terms of trying to give it some extra clarity for me on how that would have come to be. Any anybody have a thought? He was he was building it for her all along. In one of the earlier scenes, he says, "I'm building the armor for her," and I would yeah. give him the credit of saying that the AI that runs the Iron Man armor couldn't could clue her in and be like, "Okay, you need to go here, and we'll fly you there," something like I also that. Imagine, like, also imagine like she's kept in touch with the Avengers. Yeah. yeah. She's not totally yeah. out of the loop. Yeah. I mean, there's also the fact that, you know, Doctor Strange, having seen what he's seen, I put a lot down to him knowing exactly who to get and where to go um, in in this one which works. Um, so, yeah, that's... <laughs> I, 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 give, I give the film and, and Doctor Strange a lot of leeway in that regard. Yeah. 
yeah, it's not a problem. It's just something I was thinking about. Huh, where'd she come from? Yeah. What's the other uh, one? Like? Yeah, I totally I forgot the other one. Any, any, any nitpicking that, you know, I do is far, far, far outweighed by the satisfaction of that scene. Yeah. Um, and, you the, know, the and again, is and, just kind of for fun. I'll yeah. be honest, and I thank you for saying that, and I totally agree with you. I think there has to be an element of we're not nitpicking to find flaws. Well, in a way, we are nitpicking almost to find flaws. When you like a movie this much, when you really like a movie, you kind of just start to think, well, was there something that wasn't perfect, so to speak? Like, you, you start to find things. It's not necessarily the, the, the logistics that you nitpick. Sometimes it's just moments or the or or other sort of elements of the movie when you know you liked it it, it and completely and wholly start to wonder like okay where are the where are the little gaps in the armor here so i don't get too carried away with hyperbole and accept that nothing is perfect and there's probably some things that they did that i would disagree with that's where i kind of my nitpicks come from that place yeah, like I laughed about the fact I was like, oh, okay, cool. They all came out of the portals and they all magically have earpieces that are perfectly synced up. Oh my up. gosh, thank yep. you. I was like, <laughs> okay, like which I just I went, all right, okay, that's that's a thing, cool, whatever, and I just rolled with it. But it's still a bit in the back of my mind. Like I can see that, and it doesn't detract from the movie or ruin my enjoyment of it. But I can also kind of like you know, gently poke fun at it because I mean, come on, you know, like, that's the just, number of times uh, that I have that deleted a tweet. Avengers. The number of times I've deleted a tweet about the Infinity War moment where Black Panther puts his uh, finger to his ear to make a, to send a message, and I'm like, "What? Why? Nobody else seems to have an earpiece in. I can see in your ear there's no earpiece. Who are you talking to? <laughs> also, Captain America is like every eyes on me. No one knows where you are, dude. Like, no one has radar. So these can are the things about- that happen." Before before I have to bounce, I do have to leave early. Can we talk about the most amazing part of the movie, which was when he picked up the hammer? Yes. Yes. Aman, you don't you get credit for this? Like, don't we owe you fifty bucks oh, or something? Oh. <laughs> I should have. Yeah, do we bet about this last year? <laughs> no, Aman I... just owned it. He he promised it would happen for probably since before last year's conversation. Yeah, I predicted this for a very long time. And, Leave it yeah, to an Age uh, of Ultron super fan to know it's coming. <laughs> uh, oh, you should have seen my reaction when I first saw this scene. It's interesting because you know, um, in in both screenings, really, the audiences that I've been in have reacted to it when he catches the hammer. But when I saw the hammer getting lifted, I was going not like I was going for like five seconds before anything happened. Um, but yeah, an, an incredible moment. It's only for me. Um, you know, bettered by On Your Left, which is when the list of amazing, like the best callbacks in film history is made, that's going to be near the top. It's incredible. Would you put the hammer over the um, the lightsaber from Force Awakens? Very similar yes. moments. Yes! Oh, yes. Easily. Yes! Yes, <laughs> easily. Yes, yes. Because Ooh, we, you'd cool. only seen like you'd only seen Ray in like one movie at that point, whereas with this, this has been teased over a decade. So, and that was a really cool moment, but it was not nearly earned like this. But on that note, I'm gonna have to be a jerk and leave and be snapped out of existence. <laughs> Alicia, can you give us one final parting thought on the end game that you want to leave us with that we'll we'll discuss for the next out? No, I'm kidding. Just your last thoughts. 
Uh, my last thoughts. Can we please see Paul Rudd in more dramatic roles? Yes. yes, please. Because he, <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's great at humor, but God, that scene, like, uh, I think it was Amon, I think it was you, or I don't remember who it was at, earlier when he sees his daughter again, just the emotions that go over his face. I was just like, man, we don't deserve Paul Rudd. And also, uh, two more characters that deserve shout outs. Don Cheadle as War Machine. Rhodey, his like deadpan timing was flawless. And Nebula's character arc was amazing. And with that, I'm going to do the equivalent of a mic drop and bounce <laughs> no she jumped as she jumps <laughs> off of away. the soul stone <laughs> bye everyone enjoy i'm, I'm excited you. to hear what you it'll be a surprise hearing what the rest of you have to say for the rest of the podcast no you know i, that... I, was, I was just gonna add uh continue on from Catherine Mjolnir. it isn't just the fact that you know he picked it up the way he wields Mjolnir yeah. in oh, the yeah. ensuing 60 seconds or so yeah. is some of those badass Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I, the, the way the way he uses it in tandem with his shield yeah, is yeah. so creatively done, and I completely loved it. Um, yeah, but just this, amazing. But this, but this goes for the whole movies. There's so many moments where I think to myself, like, and maybe this is coming from, like, 90s movies, where, like, they'll give you the shot or they'll give you the moment, and then it'll go back to normal. But I loved it, what you just said, Amon. It's like, he picks it up, and then he fights with it. And it's not only just, like, badass fighting, but he continues with it. And all the way through the end, he takes it with him when he goes back. I'm like, yeah, he's now worthy. It's, it is his, like, I, I don't know if I'm stepping on comic book, you know, sacred grounds here, but it's now seems to be his favorite weapon. Well, he also needs it. He needs it to travel yeah, like, through space. Right, he doesn't but, have but a spaceship. But it, but his his enjoyment of using it is just as much as our enjoyment of watching him get to use it, and that's what satisfied me so much. It wasn't just like a, a two minute scene and that's it, and then he gives it back to Thor or something. It's like yes, he's got it. It's his thing now, and like let him have it, get it. I mean, I don't know the logistics of it. Like, how does he get it to come back to him? Who knows? Maybe dude, it just has a mind of its own. But dude, that was well, my I'm favorite not, joke. I mean, my it's... my favorite joke in the whole movie was when. Thor and Captain America ended up getting the swapping weapons and he's yeah. like, you get the little one. And I got to laugh so hard yeah. at that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've sort of, you know, in the ensuing days, people have tried to come up with elaborate theories for why Cap was able to lift the hammer here and not in Age of Ultron. And I've always thought that he was always able to lift it in Age of Ultron. He just didn't want to show Thor up. Um, and obviously, you know, the need arose uh in in this in this movie and yeah he took advantage it was, it was I, I do i do yeah. like the, the 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 prevailing theory for me is though that the bucky secret was what really pushed him over the edge was that he had the secret of bucky killing tony stark's dad and once he re released that secret uh in civil war he was now truly worthy of the of of Mjolnir, I I think that's an interesting theory. Obviously, it doesn't matter how, and I do think at the end of the day, I don't disagree with Alicia that the uh, that Thor was questionably worthy still, because yeah, I mean, being worthy is pretty counterintuitive to just like being the kind of king that only shows up to go pick up a case of beer every month. That that that's a good questionable comment to make about the the sort of the writing of that moment but it's so worth it to get cap to have mjolnir and that's the only oh, yeah. way for it to work so it's okay this... yeah no i mean honestly even just in the scene where thor gets mjolnir back i was just so pumped to see mjolnir in his hand again 
Um, but Alicia did bring up a very good point because, as we've discussed, Thor is not a great king. Uh, in well, since 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 he's become king, and even before then, even from Thor: The Dark World, he, you know, he shuns responsibility, and that's why Loki ends up on the throne and everything else. He's yeah, he's 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 not great when it comes to that sort of stuff. So, um, and you know, it's interesting because I, I, I did a couple podcasts, I've, I've done a couple podcasts on Thor recently, and we've discussed sort of. His journey to becoming worthy in Thor, it feels like two thirds of the way done. Um, and that we, the, the the reason why he's cast out um, is you no, know, because he's, um, you know, bringing Asgard to war and, and starting up all that stuff. But the reason why he gets his hammer back is because, um, you know, he sacrifices himself for his friends. But even in the first 20 minutes of that film, for me, I get the feeling that he would have done it early on as well. Um, so, you know, the fact that we, the, we, we don't... That journey to him becoming worthy again isn't as explicit as it could be. Um, it makes the, the, the whole worthiness issue, the, the issue of worthiness, a bit murky. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, definitely an interesting question that Alicia raised. One other detail that I thought was um, not necessarily crucial to the, the ongoing story of Endgame, so understandably not in the movie, but this is Peter Quill's first time back on Earth since he was essentially abducted. Um, so I well, doesn't I, he come back at the end of Guardians? No, the first one. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but it's a long time ago for me. I'm sorry. No, I'm I don't like, think he's ever been forward. back to Earth. Um, okay. Nor and and nor does he seem to want to. Uh, oddly enough, you would think, you would think he would want to even just pay his respects to his mother, <laughs> like just visit the grave in the way they love to do with superheroes visiting the graves of their parents. But um, I just, it was just interesting. I thought about it the second time I watched the movie. I was just like, you know, this is his first time back on Earth, and he's not very distracted by the idea of being here. Um, at it's the very not, least, he could pick not. up some new albums, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the idea that you know, he doesn't. He, he's he's not interested in the fact that he's back on Earth. But there's so much going on in these films that they don't really have room for some character moments, like the fact that you know, uh, in Infinity War, I think that's War Machines and Falcon's first time in Wakanda. And they don't have a comment on it being like the only two Black Avengers, you know. <laughs> they in, in in another film in a more, uh, you know, in a, in a film with less going on and with stakes that weren't so un incredibly high, we do get that character moment. It's just that there's so many moving parts of this film, it just has to keep it moving. Come on, this makes you... me want to. Um... What, Mike? No, go ahead, please. <laughs> what, this makes me want to to to. Uh... <laughs> This makes me want to um, question Amon. You you had mentioned to me in in the chat, and so now I must uh, confront you on it. But you 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 didn't. Speaking of character moments, you didn't like okay. the moment where uh, Cap and Tony reconcile, right? You felt it was too fast moving, especially after Civil War and everything that goes on. And I I understand where you're coming from. And of course, they make giant leaps. As in the next time I watched it, that like. Uh, I think it's when Tony drives up really fast to the Avengers house and yeah. like sees Cap there, and there's like a 10-second scene where they're like 
it's, you know, we can get over this. There's some bigger issue at hand. And then they like give each other the nod and then it just goes on. And I know mm -hmm. that's like a, like a brushing over it really quickly, but it is also like, it satisfied me. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, there is some bigger shit to deal with here, like saving 50% of the universe, but what's your beef with it? Is that your, was that you, like, you didn't feel like that scene was enough? I didn't, I didn't. And it's annoying because, you know, when Tony first comes back to earth, he goes in on Steve and that scene, you know, hurt to watch in a good way. And I was really excited. I was looking forward to seeing how they'd work their way back from that. Um, and not only because of that scene, but because, you know, we've had years um, of wondering how they're going to repair that rift from Civil War. And the fact that, you know, Civil War ends the way it does is, is why it's still, to this day, my favorite MCU movie. So, yeah, the when Tony comes back to Earth and he goes in on Steve, it's really a brilliantly acted scene and it really hurts to watch in a really good way. Um, I really enjoyed that scene and I was like looking forward to seeing how Tony and Steve would work their way back from that. And not just because of that scene, but because, you know, ever since Civil War ended, everyone's been wondering how Tony and Steve are going to become besties again. And a lot of import uh, has been, and rightfully so, um, has been put towards that relationship. Uh, and so I get that, you know, resentment is not a good look on Tony. I think it's what he says and, you know, and Cap agrees. And, you know, the the, the re-emergence of the Captain America theme as Tony gives Steve back his shield is a great moment in some respects. But I think if they actually talked it out, uh, the scene where they, you know, become allies and besties again would have been a thousand times more satisfying. And, you know, just as somebody who's seen the film a couple of times now, you know, I would have liked the scene, you know, or I, or I could have imagined a scene where, wherein once Tony and Steve have gone back in time to the 70s and Tony's having that conversation with his father, I can imagine him bringing up Cap to his dad and, you know, his dad having a couple of things to say about it and that being a thing which sparks Tony's epiphany in, you know, forgiving Cap or uh, uh, them going that route. But the fact that we don't get to see Tony's process of forgiveness and he just arrives there and this happened um, makes the moment where Iron Man and Cap reconcile not as satisfying as it could be for me. I, I, it's like it's hard to argue with anything you're saying. I would only obviously say that they didn't have enough time, as you kind of talked about a little bit earlier about yeah. how it's just like you know there's limited time. And also, like I would say based on what you just said now, that Iron Man to me in every movie he's been in is very quick to make these kind of choices. Like he just sort of changes his mood instantly. And I've always sort of thought that character, like he can be an arrogant asshole one day and then two seconds later be nice to Peter Parker or something like that. And that's kind of just his thing. And that, of course, I, I really love the Civil War rift in the fact that they played that out, but that's a couple movies ago. <laughs> and Yeah, you know, I but... I don't know. It's not, it's not necessarily that I, uh, that I disagree with your feelings about it. I think it's fair to want to have seen a resolution of sorts before they team up and really go for it. But I actually, I actually was really happy they didn't have a formal sort of um, 
co-apology uh, handshake moment. I didn't get the sense that you could ever really come back from where they went. Like, I don't think that that they'll ever, even if they both survived Endgame, that they ever would have truly recovered from what happened. It, it, it was a, a fatal rift. I mean, they nearly killed each other because of it. And to end, to ever just have a moment, whether it's a couple words or a couple minutes or, or an hour's worth of talk, I don't think I would have believed it. And I think that ultimately, like, even in this movie, Captain America never apologizes. And I think he still to this day believes that he did the right thing. And because of that, they can't ever have a true resolution. Like, they know that in order to save the world, they're going to have to team up. And they're just going to have to leave that baggage behind them. And if they're going to, ha- and the only thing they're going to be able to do is trust in each other for right now. But I don't think that it changes what happened in the past and would ever allow for forgiveness in the first place. I actually thought the the, the least believable moment in the film was when Iron Man asked asked Captain America if if he trusted him. It's like you don't you don't what do you trust him for? He you already jumped back in time. Like you don't need to ask him if he trusts you and he's already on board like he's like wow we're we're going to a random place in the 70s you have no idea where you're going but i'll go with you because we have to do it like i don't think that that moment actually had the resonance back to what happened in civil war that i was expecting when i saw the the trailer or at least or the clip or whatever when they had the handshake in that teaser so at the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of like relieved that they never resolved it. It, it. it keeps Civil War and the rest of that rift that started it in Ultron alive. And, and I still feel like they went to their graves, or Cap's not dead, but, you know, essentially to their graves, feeling like they did the right thing. And in the end, it worked out. Ooh, ooh compelling. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, that's a fair take. Yeah. It's, a sort, fair of, it's take, sort of like but... a, we had our differences, like, cap over tony the old cap going to tony stark's memorial or monument and being and talking to him like rocky does in all the creed movies to his wife but instead of saying what he's doing every day he's just like we had our differences but in the end we we worked together to to defeat evil this makes me wonder only because i'm forgetting is uh is Captain America at his funeral at the end? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. I'm like, I'm like, like wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if I'm, if I'm like, I like remember correctly, and he's like, no, actually, he isn't there. He's the one guy missing, but no. the only, actually, the only people missing from the funeral, but I don't know if they deserve to be there, is Michael Pena from Ant Man, who everyone loves, and he's completely missing from the whole movie. And then another one that I asked, I told this to Mike, and he came up with an excuse was. Um, uh, Anthony Hopkins, um, and and of course the Thor family. Like we see most of the Thor family, but not his father. And I was like wondering, like, is he just in his own realm now, and it doesn't matter? Like we don't need him. Aside from the fact that it's probably incredibly hard to get Hopkins to do anything. But just like well, those are the only two that I was like, all right, we've got every single person at this funeral who deserves to be there, except for these guys. But I don't know, they don't fit in. Odin's dead. I know, but the, but like. Yeah, you forgot he, that. You forgot. Just admit you forgot. No, but but yes, <laughs> I, I did forget. But no, he, he didn't die as in like the typical. He dies, dies. He dies as in like he's in the he's a god and force ghost. He should have been there as a force ghost. Let's yes, just admit just, it. I agree. Star Wars Avengers crossover. It's all Disney. Let's make it happen. But look, I I I kind of know what you're getting at though, and 
you know there were it there were a lot of people at that at that um private funeral that i didn't even understand why they would have been there to be honest with you like like that i I went the opposite way with it i was like why are these people here they had nothing to do with iron man other than you know being in the on the same team and come on no but no no come on there should have been two funerals (laughs) There should have been one funeral oh. for the very emotional, you know, people who were at the yeah, core. That, look, I'm just saying that that funeral just, was just very say, private. Just... That funeral was for the people who were really close to Tony and and knew who he was and, and, and are honoring him as as, you know, as an individual. And then there is what I'm assuming is going to happen at the beginning of Spider-Man, which is that there will be an honest, true, like, the end of the Dark Knight Rises kind of moment, right? Where they like unveil yeah, a Spider-Man statue. Spider Man, the movie moment, uh, the animated movie moment. Oh, I don't know about that. No, and so you've seen Into the Spider Verse when. Uh, oh, when oh, 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 yeah, yeah. That, that. Spider Man dies. Like the whole city is reeling from it. Yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. I think if they're going to truly honor Tony Stark, Iron Man, in the way that he needs to be honored globally. I think that, that that opportunity presents itself very easily, especially at the beginning of Spider-Man Far From Home, to set the tone for, well, okay, this movie is taking place immediately after that. I just said absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it, it also gives you a, it gives us a chance to just sort of revel in that sadness one more time, but let us watch Spidey take that with him. And, and, and I'm hoping because I did want to talk a little Spider-Man in this was, is, is I'm hoping that Tony's sort of uh, consciousness is uploaded into Spider-Man's outfit, like his voice or whatever, you know, the way they've been doing with Jarvis and then with um, what's, uh, what's the character's name, the voice in him, Tony Stark's suit now. Friday. 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 It'd be nice yeah. if uh, instead of, him hearing Friday's voice, he hears Tony's voice, but of course that is a that's a big money machine question. That's not really up to us. That's a little bit more up to contract people of whether they can get Robert Downey Jr. to play the voice character. So, Mike, to, to, that's where I'm going with that. But, well, but the, before I get to Spider Man, I want to I want to answer your damn funeral question um, <laughs> or address it. No, the, the to give you a non joke answer to that. My thought is. That simply that Iron Man as a character is a force of nature, and that uh, regardless of the comics and the in the grand scheme of things, um, if you look at the MCU as a as a construct, that basically he was the or- origin. He was the original. He was the first MCU movie in two thousand eight, and he was the first, uh, at least in within the MCU, the first superhero to come about. Um, you know, of course, others existed and eventually came around, but. But that, to me, is where that all comes from. Like, let's say, for the sake of the MCU, these people at the funeral are aware of Iron Man in a sense that, you know, you're aware of some other dude who did some cool act and saved people in an incident in America somewhere. And that bringing it all together, of course, for the sake of the movie and storytelling cinematically, but also just for the sake of the world, recognizing how much of a, a force Iron Man has been and, you know, of course, this changed through Civil War and all of the Avengers movies, but that originally he was still the person who kind of brought Avengers together, aside from Nick Fury, of course. But, like, Iron Man was always that guy, and they, he always had some sort of connection. That's my excuse to it. And that's, to me, the sort of thematic nature of Endgame being the end of the 22 MCU movies is that it ties all the way back to 
the very first Iron Man in the origin of him. And of course, the snap moment, which I love so much when he's like, I am Iron Man, does his snap. But anyway, back to Spider-Man. <laughs> no, we don't have to get into Spider-Man. I, I, I got, I mean, unless you guys have other thoughts, I just wanted to No, one of my Spider-Man questions, out. maybe uh, maybe I'm on, you can answer this. One of my Spider-Man questions is when he's in the final fight and he's like instant kill mode activate and it pulls out the arms, which are really freaky spider arms because I hate spiders. But um, uh, <laughs> I don't recall Spider-Man being someone who's happily killing people. He usually well, those doesn't aren't like people. kill them. Those aren't people. I know, but like it's kind of like um, if he used that uh, if he used that on a real person in his own story, and like a, a, just a bad yeah, guy, no. I would have a problem with it. I would because it's like Batman. Batman doesn't tries, or at least he tries not to kill anyone anyway. Shout out to Zack Snyder. Um, <laughs> Bat- yeah, Batman's yeah. a different beast entirely, though. I mean, most characters, but, most superhero yeah. characters, um, I, I'd say almost all of them. It, are are thoughtful about whether or not they they actively kill. You know, we're 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 setting aside, you know, throwing people off a 40 foot or, or the 40th floor of a building or smashing their skull into something or uh you know, hitting them with yes, a I with know, Thor's hammer and know, ultimately killing them, but not on on-screen death. But I just I just found it weird that like Spider-Man's big thing in this was like, oh, suddenly an instant kill mode which then just slaughtered everyone around him. Not, I was like, I was like, all right, I'm in for it because it's a cool scene and everything's happening. But I was like, okay, this seems a little bit weird for the Spider-Man character. But, but, but for all we know, Mike, maybe in the next movie he's like, I don't want the instant kill mode or something like that. You well, know? it was a good, it was, it was a very convenient opportunity for the Russo brothers to use it because there really was never any opportunity to use it. It was a throwaway joke in Spider-Man: Homecoming because. We, you know, he's not going to use kill mode, and it was a joke, basically just iron. I mean, of course, Tony Stark would give him kill mode, but he's not going to use it. He's a kid. He, he's a he's a good kid, but now we get to see him use it, so it's kind of cool. But that's probably the end of it. For that. I, 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 I can't imagine them using it anymore. But we'll see. Yeah. This is exactly right. So, well, quick exactly question. Right. Quick question. So. It, it, this connects the dots a little bit too. I mean, in the trailer for Spider-Man, we saw Happy Hogan hitting on Aunt May, and he has a giant check. So, what are your what What do you guys think happens to Stark Industries from here? Pepper is still CEO, so she's going to run the show, and Happy's going to like just be happy, but sort of continuing his role where he's like the yeah, I think Happy's the Morgan, like Fre- he's like the Morgan Freeman of yeah, exactly the MCU. <laughs> Good reference. Yes, I think that's actually probably what. Because you know what, I of course anything can happen. Disney being who they are, but I I really think Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, and uh, Gwyneth Paltrow are all done now. Like unless there's some extreme way they're looped back in, I think they're all like out of Marvel movies from now. And of course, Spider Man is a Sony movie, but um, I don't think old Captain America play a role at all. I don't. I mean, all of these actors have publicly stated that they're done and have been kind of waiting for it. Yeah, no, I get that, but um, that doesn't mean shit to me. <laughs> I know what I'm saying. Disney, Disney can at any point throw the right amount of money at them. Let's just say. Right. And, well, I think it's going to be story based, though. So I, the question right, is really for me. You know, do you see a future story wise for them to dig back in the well, so to speak, or do you feel like Cap there is a future? 
is there a future is really my core question. Like what, where do they go from here? We need to talk about this. It's we've, we've had a brief discussion We're not even about, talking about the movie yet. We'll finish this question. All right, and fine. Then we'll get back Let, to the movie. Fine. Okay. Let's, let's go back to the movie. Let's talk about no, raccoons, no, no, no. raccoons sending emails. Let's talk about hey, that. I rocket is cool. I don't know anyone who doesn't like Rocket. Come I just, on. Why is Rocket sending emails Such when he has a perfectly guy. good um, – he, he has a perfectly good video chat mode. Why is he what sending this, emails? This is where we lose listeners. They're like, oh, Rocket email conversation? No. <laughs> we pick – I think we're adding listeners personally. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, no, Mike, go back to your question. Where do they go from here? Uh, Aman probably has more theories than I do. <laughs> but, but of course, the new phase seems to be introducing more new characters. Obviously, the success of Captain Marvel is an indication that they can do that and still succeed. Um, and there's enough other people around, obviously, and obviously the Disney Plus um, series, that there's enough other things going on that it's like, yes, you can see the Falcon continuing the Captain America storyline. Um, you can see Valkyrie continue the Thor storyline. You can see Thor in Guardians. Like, well, there's also there's a Black Panther people. little nugget that's that people found when what? Okari. How do you say her name? Okari. Okoye. Okoye. Okoye uh, mentions the earthquakes underwater, and allegedly that has something to do with the Atlanteans that are involved in the MCU and the the bad guys from uh, from the comic books with black panther would be very curious to see if that was a little easter egg for where they're going with black panther 2 atlanteans is this dc come on i know i was very confused <laughs> but hey we've got captain marvels in both universes why not have atlanteans i guess there's, no there's there's a very good chance that namor uh will be to the mcu sooner rather than later especially now that aquaman is a hit i don't think the mcu will gonna are gonna wait too much longer to introduce their own version of Atlantis. And um, in the comics, uh, Black Panther and Namor have had beef before. Um, so that would be very, very interesting seeing two people, seeing two sort of royalty uh, go go at one another. It's something that we haven't really seen in the MCU so far. Um, so that could be very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, th there's plenty of different directions um, that Marvel could go, and obviously they'll still be very successful. But you know, as you know, I alluded to at the top of this podcast, it did, you know, dawn on me, you know, during and in the days after watching this, that this will never happen again. Um, this is, you know, watching, uh, you know, that final fight uh, play out. It just, you know, the satisfaction, the payoff that that gave you. It will never happen again, um, and it's just—it's it a very special thing to experience. Um, yeah. And you know, even you know, because Marvel, you know, they—they've obviously still got a whole host of characters, and you know, they can now learn from all the mistakes that they've made um, in previous movies. And I'm sure that they are going to try and build to something again, but. Even if the, you know they execute that well, there's a special stature that comes with being the first to do it, uh, which is what the, the Avengers Endgame is. Um, and yeah, they're just in terms of I, I just I don't see them uh, uh, coming up with I don't see anybody coming up with something as satisfying as this in the superhero genre uh, ever. 
Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna try, but they're never. Yeah, gonna they're gonna try, but yeah. I don't I don't think it's gonna. This and you is... know the, one of the one yeah. of the most fascinating things to me is that this is only eleven years. Like I think about it, like it's been. I, I get the numbers mixed up. I'm like 22 movies, and then my my mind immediately <laughs> thinks 22 years, and I'm like, wait, no, it's only 11 years, like 2008, which is actually like I've been my website has been around since 2006, so I've even been around running for showing <laughs> for more than this has been going, and that I also think about like 22 movies in 11 years is a lot, like at least two a year, um, but the the. They, and you know, the thing that I defend Endgame on for being so good, for being what it is in a satisfaction way, is that I don't actually love all the MCU movies. There's some of them I just don't care about at all. Some of them I think are really formulaic. Some of them are like good, but not great. Some of them are really awesome. But nonetheless, all of them culminated in this conclusion that satisfied everything. And I think that's part of like, if anything, you have to admire the Russo brothers and and, and like give them complete credit if if uh, and the writers, sorry, um, for being Mark able to feeling. yeah for being able to, to put all this together and to like make it that satisfactory. Because I think a lot of people will be quick to write like a lot of you know film critic snobs, so to say, will be quick to quick to write it off as just like oh Hollywood just brought them together. You write a scene with them together, but it's like it's not only not that easy. But it's not that easy to then have the tone be right and have them give the performances that make that scene feel right. And then put that scene in a three-hour freaking movie, which is the second part of another two-and-a-half-hour movie, all continuing to to join everything together and make fans not upset. Because you can also look at The Last Jedi as an example of people being completely against what they see on screen, no matter what they've decided as a, a corporation. And yet... Endgame has achieved the complete opposite, which is just a general love from everyone with nitpicks and with with the flaws intact. And I think that's that's awesome. And I I mean that's why like I'm I'm usually quick to say I love a movie, but this one, like, even on a second view, and I'm like, yeah, I love it. And I'm happy to rewatch it more than I am Infinity War, more than other movies. And it has so much individual moments that I want to rewatch and enjoy that it's not just like the reveal of it anymore like you know hey okay now we know what happens but still it's just as good knowing everything as it is that first time and that's what's making it i think stand out not only as the ultimate culmination but as a great film on its own anyway can we talk um score a little bit absolutely yes. <laughs> honestly like uh sylvester's always done some good work and everything but like and I love the Infinity War score. The The music from when they arrive at Vormir is some of the best shit I, I've ever heard in a, in, a, in a comic book movie outside of Dark Knight and Zimmer's work there. But, like, what the fuck? This score is incredible. And I've been listening to it a lot. And it just, like, it holds up the whole way through. There's hardly any wasted space where it's just, you know, bombastic blockbuster movie crap it's like there's always something in there whether it's a tie back to a theme or a motif or like the opening sequence with tony when he's sort of like when he's giving up and getting ready to die and they sort of tease the final music from the funeral having seen yeah. the film now once and listened to the score and now rehearing that i like started to tear up just thinking about the funeral when i was watching him um go to sleep in the opening scene the music that that is that is, has no place in a superhero movie. I, I know that that's very uh, 
that's not respecting the sort of wide berth that that classification gives. But the reality is that we just don't get that kind of music in these movies. We just don't. And in 22 movies in, we haven't. We haven't gotten anything like the funeral song. Ooh, you need to be careful what you're saying here. <laughs> watch out, watch. What? Um, what? What do you got? There's only two months ago that a certain MCU movie won Best Original Score. Well, I don't disagree that the music can be good, that the music can be high quality and very, you know, driving emotionally, but also in action and all those things that made Black Panther score incredible. But the music that is delivered in, I'm specifically speaking to the funeral track. I'm specifically speaking to the okay. song, the track called The Real Hero. We just don't get that kind yeah. of track in these movies. And, and it made that scene doubly powerful. Like, I, I feel like because it wasn't just a sort of acoustic or, or, or single instrument version of the Iron Man theme, you know, which it very easily could have been, and most composers would have. It was its own thing entirely, and it really pulled the heartstrings. Like they just, they knew when Sylvester knew when to keep it within a motif and when to kind of pull out of the norm, and that's what made it very special. But at the same time, like yeah, because of Black Panther's uh, score and history, I wonder if this one kind of gets tossed aside a little bit, only because. The Academy themselves have a hard time accepting the role that superhero movies play in cinema. Like, they're not just superhero movies anymore. They are part of the blood of movies now. But I, yeah. I, see, this, I see this score getting into the shortlist for sure, honestly. Like, it's being talked about amongst score people with this much acclaim and regard that I'm confident it can get there. Especially because, like, I don't want to get into the whole Oscar discussion, but especially similarly to Return of the King, where um, everyone thought the Lord of the Rings movies were being, you know, thrown away at the Oscars aside from some technical nominations, and then Return of the King being the finale, and of course Endgame, not the total finale, but the finale, kind of like, they gave it all this recognition finally. I could see that happening for Endgame, especially because the score really is fucking outstanding in a lot of it. Like, it just it just hits really well emotionally too. Yeah, no, it's definitely the most emotional and poignant score in the MCU, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and yeah, there's just greatness dotted everywhere. Um, I've had it on repeat for the last couple of days, and it's just it's just awesome. Um, you know, the in uh, in. In track three of this, we is is where we get that great twist on the Avengers title card theme, uh, which plays uh, on the movie, which I love. Um, and you know, I mentioned sort of bringing back the Cap theme, which is also Sylvestri, and it's interesting. I like all of the Cap themes. I like the Cap theme in Winter Soldier with Henry Jackman. I like it uh, in Civil War again, Henry Jackman, and it works for those movies, but. When you hear that Sylvester Cap theme, it feels right. Um, it just nails the essence of that character in the way that the other two just don't quite get there. Um, and it was really beautiful hearing that theme again. It's actually a theme we hear uh, uh, an, an enriched version of when uh, Sam gets gifted the shield, uh, which really... You know, it's a really fantastic moment, and I love the sort of the the the, the different twang that Sylvester gave uh, to the cap theme in that moment. 
Um, and we, we should also mention that of all the MCU films, this is the one which features the most um, sort of integration of uh, themes from the other movies. So we hear Doctor Strange's theme when the Asian one comes on screen. When we, we hear sort of a few a few notes from Twilight of the Gods, there's a track uh, from Mark Monosbaugh's Thor Ragnarok score. Um, we hear Captain Marvel's theme when she makes the return at the end of the movie. We hear, uh, if not the theme, then the musical style of Christoph Beck's Ant-Man theme. Um, and obviously, we, we there's a, a ton of callbacks to both Infinity War and uh, and Sylvester's original Avengers theme, uh, Avengers score as well. Um, and all of those, you know, are really effective. Um, and it's just great to see that much thematic continuity um, uh, being put into this film, um, which is which is just great. And you know that that uh, I'd, I'd say this to everything on the and on the score and in the film is building to that moment where the heroes come back and the track which is by far had uh the highest play count which is rising rapidly is the track called portals um which is just a phenomenal piece of music the way the, the emotion that music brings to the fore in that moment is huge and the way it sags into the you know the most bombastic rendition of the Avengers team that you will ever hear is powerful. And you know one of the one of the many reasons I love film scores is because the really really good ones can put you in that moment and can you know make you visualize uh, that that moment on screen just by listening to it and. Portals is one of those tracks that will immediately, ah, oh yes, I remember when I first heard this. I remember the scene I first watched it in, and it will bring back those memories immediately because it's so beautifully, beautifully done. Um, but you mentioned The Real Hero, which is the other, for me, standout track um, on, on the score. Um, there's like three different, three different renditions of that theme in that track, and all of them are equally emotional and heartfelt. There's one which is just guitar. There's one which is just piano. There's one which is epic strings, which is which is stirring all the way throughout and then build. And all of them really, really work. Um, so yeah, I could talk about this score for hours. I'm not going to do that because you know <laughs> there is another um, podcast but, that you do it on, right? So I can yes, can just I, go I, to I did it this morning. I did it this morning, in fact, um, and hopefully you can check that out next week. Um, what is the what, what was the name? The it's called uh, the the name of the podcast is called Between the Notes, um, and I did it with uh, a guy called Tony and another guy called Sean. Uh, both of which, uh, you know, who love superhero scores as much as I do. It was a really fun conversation we've had it this morning. Um, and, yeah, we, we go into more more depth on everything I just said. Um, but, yeah, there's just, again, this greatness all around. When the when the, the scene in which, uh, we, which I haven't really talked about yet, but when uh, Cap uh, goes to the 70s and sees Peggy and just the emotion and the longing that Cap feels in that moment is felt and reflected in the score. Um, the, 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 the delicate piano we get for Tony's interactions with Morgan, and again, it's something which I haven't really talked 
about, but Tony is really, and Robert Downey Jr. is great at working with kids and immediately making us feel that bond between his character and and whichever kid is, is, is in question. And we only spend a few minutes with him and Morgan, but, you know, you feel all of those minutes and, you know, it, it's an added sense of sadness when we lose Tony and, you know, you realize that Morgan's just lost her father. Um, so, yeah, um, it's, it's just a phenomenal score. And, you know, Sylvester's done four, four scores in the MCU now, and I wager that all four of them would be in the top five sort of, you know, all-time MCU with Black Panther being the fifth. Um, he is, by without a doubt, the most important composer the MCU has had. And given that we now have a, cap a new Captain America, I'll be very interested to see uh, if they reuse that Captain America theme, I think they should. Um, uh, I'll, be, but I'll be very interested to see who takes on, if, it, if it's not Sylvester, who takes on the baton uh, when it comes to both the Captain America um, theme and uh, future Avengers movies. Um, because he has been, you know, a key vital piece in, why, in making those movies uh, work. Yeah. And speaking of that scene, also there's one track that I really think stands out in a fun way, which is the In Plain Sight track, which is right during that 1970s, oh, yeah. where it's like a caper, yeah. it's like a 70s era style music track, and they just have, he just has fun with it, and it just sort of like stands out big time, but it's very fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this makes me want to uh, comment on, on the whole cap framing of the movie and the fact that it that it ends on like them dancing and sealed with a kiss basically like I, I personally i i'm i'm a fan of that conclusion i know i'm twisting away from your score but uh but uh but you brought it up in a way that made me think it, it kind of it, it there's the hint at it in that 70s scene uh where he sees her and then you're just kind of like well this has been uh caps thing his whole origin his whole life uh, is to get back with her and and much like Futurama to me which is one of my favorite shows that it's all about and also like Guardians of the Galaxy it's all about that relationship between them and that to see that satisfying ending of like okay well he lived his life the way he wanted to and they got that little moment I thought that was cute like an unexpected way to end <laughs> end this but also great to mm -hmm. to similarly with well for me in terms of like I, like I know, even in my audience, the second time, like it ended on that like kiss note, and like no one applauded, and I was like, "What's wrong with you people? Like, what do you want?" And there's no credit scene, so why? What is your beef with it, man? I I hear you. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 not so sure. I don't, I don't have any beef with it at all. I love it. Um, I'm just not so sure that it was unexpected. Uh, I think a number of people predicted that that was where no, it no, could I, end up. I mean, um, unexpected for uh, 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 two giant blockbuster movies that span an entire universe. Like, okay, the final shot of the movie is going to be them dancing, kissing. Like, that's what I meant, unexpected. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, I mean, <laughs> there, there were a lot of theories online which I was reading, and uh, and I'm sure I read it at some point. That, so, did uh, someone that, seriously that predict that it was going to end with them together? Yeah, like. Uh, yeah. oh, Slash yeah. Film did it, and he posted it today. He posted that for, like four hundred days ago or something. No, but I read. I read Peter's thing. That was more of like the. I'm trying to say there's a difference between yes, they're gonna have the moment together, and yes, the film literally ends with the shot of them. Like that. Like, did anyone literally predict in one of the? I would. I would. Maybe, I would, maybe I would, not I would that specific. They did. I would. I would owe them something for being like. But you nobody's predicting that. Like 
like the the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker last shot oh, yeah, is something sense. worth discussing. Like, what will the final shot be? But not here, not Endgame, but, which is no like one's the end, but not the end, but also just the middle anyway. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's definitely not. I, I I can I will give you credit here where it's due. I don't think anybody could have predicted the final shot would be uh, a kiss between Peggy and and Steve. And uh, and when that when he said no to explaining her yeah, to to Falcon, which I I loved, I was like, yes, what a good answer. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. they still managed to continue and show that moment. I just thought, well, that's cute. It's a nice, cute little button. Um, because I also was like, in that split second moment, I was like, oh, what's next? Is this the end? Or what's next? Before they cut to the 1940s shot of him dancing with her, um, yeah, yeah. But it was a, we needed to see that. I think we all earned the right as fans to see him getting that dance. And uh, yeah. also, <laughs> it was a little presumptuous of uh, of Falcon to assume it's a woman. But hey, you know. <laughs> we know. I think I thought he was saying he knows it's Peggy, and uh, well, he said, "You yeah. want to tell me about her?" I mean, hey. Yeah, because we know it's her. Who else could it be? All right, my guy, guy. staying here. Uh, and there could have been a, past is... Bucky. Could have been getting on all the way back. Married, married past Bucky. Just saying, this is all this is all plausible. I would, I would watch that movie actually. <laughs> Call me uh, by your Bucky. Hey, okay, well, uh, actually, so while we're on this topic, I think an important piece that we need to discuss, and maybe this is the sort of final big uh, third act. Uh, tent piece of the of this podcast we talk we have to talk time travel all right we have to talk first of all let's get it out of the way anybody who's trying to prove that the russo brothers and the double m's of the writers i don't remember their actual names that they start yeah m&m as i'll call them uh, they, they, you know, people who are sitting around on Twitter trying to prove that those guys didn't think this hard enough and didn't actually close the loops or come up with dialogue that supports their whole plot. Like, go fuck yourselves. I'm just going to say that. Okay, if you're listening, yeah. Yeah. stop listening and just go somewhere else. Okay, go sit by a lake and watch the water and just, just sit there for life. Like, go away. So now that we've gotten that out of the way. Not let's, for anyone who's still listening. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about what happened because a lot happens, and I think it. And, and I'm still I'm not confused anymore, but I think I want to just like talk it out for a sec. Which is okay. So the the scene with Sorcerer Supreme, I guess she's the ancient one. I, I kept forgetting what people actually called her, but until you said it, Amon. But so when she is talking to Hulk or banner, I guess, and says, you know, you go and you do this, and then when you move a stone, it creates a divergent timeline, alternate reality. So they, so in the story, in the actual context of the movie, they make alternate realities in which all of these stones are now sort of part of a different reality. Uh, but by returning the stones, they put them back. But by putting them back doesn't necessarily mean there can't still be alternate realities, correct? There's, in theory, there's but, still Loki is yeah. going to be on. If we're going to color code this as the gold timeline is the correct sort of like main Robert MCU timeline, and the black timeline is the sort of like the because that's the color of this the little divergence that she makes. Right. 
So Loki is on one of those black divergent timelines now, correct? Well, yes, but I think she was also trying to indicate less the complexity of what you're getting into, more simply just like to reiterate, I hate to say it, but to all dumb audiences, just to reiterate that you can't totally mess up the timeline. You have to bring things back together to get them back to normal. I don't think she was trying to talk about different alternate timelines because the black one was like so ominous. It was like, don't you dare let there be a black timeline. But there's also like in the, in the multiverse theory, there's billions of timelines and they all exist anyway. Um, but she's the only, to the scene you're talking about, Mike, she's the only one who actually establishes a time travel rule with the MCU or within the end game uh, movie. Other than that, there is no real rule as to what's happening. Right. But to Hulk, go with the Hulk conventional covers our concept, bases, right? Hulk says yeah. it's time travel. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so he right. covers all bases with that. Right. And and I like that they make fun of Back to the Future a lot. And they're like, that's not work. That's bullshit. But then they actually do what Back to the Future did. I'm like, that has to be a joke. But to your point, Mike, yes, if we go with the conventional, the conventional, we're all geniuses. We know what time travel is wisdom. That there are alternate timelines, and that any time there's a divergent from whatever current timeline you're on, that starts another one. Right. And that uh, Loki's is more on. Right? Yeah. Um, Just adds. Well, yeah, essentially from that point, it breaks off. Like, but this is the complexity of time travel is that you could say, will the cap on cap fight and what happened in that little world caused changes that should affect where that timeline goes, but it doesn't connect to the current time. I don't know. It's just, yeah. All right. Sorry. Go back to your question, Mike, before it's we confuse really it. It's not really a question. It's, it's just a, a conversation piece. I mean, like, let's talk time travel. It, maybe there's nothing to talk <laughs> about, but it definitely feels like I, I like how throughout the movie I can sort of see the writer's room in action. You can almost see them putting lines in the movie that they had discussed themselves in the writer's room while coming up with the complexities of all this, there, there are scenes like when they are actually talking, uh, you know, before Hawkeye goes, goes back to test it out, they're, they're having dialogue that was not probably written until, or that was probably written as a result of all their little in arguments in writing the movie. Like they probably decided, I'm, 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 I, I like to try and dissect the order at which they came up with certain things in movies like this, especially complex ones. Happens a lot with Christopher Nolan movies, but like, <laughs> like in what in what order did they think this stuff up? And it seems like for the most part, they they definitely knew early on that they were going to need to travel through time and having to discuss and figure out how to set up those rules. We don't know how time travel works. We may never, sure. But the movie is fiction and therefore gets to create rules. And so those rules are the word of, of, of God. They, they, you know, they, there is nothing else other than whatever the film tells you can or cannot happen. But at the same time, we have characters in this movie who are mortal. They're human. They only have the knowledge that they have within this sort of mortal singular universe that they live in. And they encounter the ancient one who knows all. She knows she she's the Bran from Game of Thrones of this of this movie. She's she, <laughs> she can see all. She knows that Doctor Strange is her future. Uh, she knows mm -hmm. that uh, she knows how fucking time travel works. So well, that's because I mean, it, sorry to cut you off, but no, in Doctor Strange the movie, it's been 
you know, it's, it's revealed in that movie that she's, you know, peered through time numerous amounts of time. So, of course, she knows exactly what's up because she's done that. She's used the time stone. Yeah. Well, it's interesting Mike. to me to think about Doctor Strange's role in all this, too. And, like, I'm on, I'm, const- I'm constantly thinking and constantly being the last three days, I guess, uh, about where they went. And I'm kind of changing the topic here. They, they who? I'm kind of changing the topic to, you know, the, the dusted, the decimated. Uh, they, they died. They disappeared. But, but they I, I, I have a hard time understanding it from the words that Spider-Man speaks, which is, you know, we got dusted and then we woke up in the same spot and Doctor Strange was like, we got to all get together. So... They just their their conscience their consciousness disappears right it just it's just it's just a moment in time that they yeah, don't right. have they, it's an empty yeah, slot exactly. correct so yeah. you see it yes okay no that <laughs> like, makes sense but they're gone for five years right it's not like where yes. they go in the microverse and time is different and in its inception and all that stuff where different, different movies. Well, um, is it though? There's a lot of inception in this movie. I, I I really came to think about it, and when they said when they like, I, you can't tell me you didn't have an instant re- recollection to Inception when Ant Man when Paul Rudd says, um, "Time is different." Inception isn't in yeah, in the, the in the microverse that it time moves more slowly or whatever. That's the quantum realm. That is its thing. I think to 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 simplify this, that unless I'm missing something. Um, let's say that uh, all, almost all of the stones were returned normally and the timelines resumed normally. The only exceptions are one, Loki, which was a, a nice setup for what we just talked about earlier, which is giving him a TV show, which that was a nice little thing. And then two, Cap. And Cap's a little bit confusing because um, what I talked to you, Mike, is like, I don't know if he went back in time and stopped him from getting the serum to begin with or if he just jumped in and instead of being frozen in the ice just jumped in and resumed like he survived the crash and then came back from world war ii generally the other timelines are completed and he returns the stones and everything gets back to normal and that for the sake of not losing our minds i think most of those other timelines were resumed to normal and the only other major, uh, uh, major confusing aspect is that, like, the Thanos. Like, where does Thanos exist in it? Because the Thanos who they they snap out of existence is actually the Thanos who is from uh, five years before everything happens. No, earlier than that, 2014, I think. So he doesn't actually know. So the, the other Thanos that actually does the actual snapping that we see at the end of Infinity War... Uh, he either doesn't exist at all because um, I don't know. That's one of those like there isn't an explanation for him because those two timelines diverged within our current timeline that we're watching as a movie, which throws up the, the Hon- confusing thing, you know. Honestly, as as much as they tried to establish the rules, um, and credit to Marcus and McFeely for trying to do that, you're going. The, the, it's a time travel movie, so there's going to be plot holes. Uh, and there's going to be so many questions. Like, for instance, um, you know, this is this is uh, they they go back to um, uh, Avengers Assemble. Um, they go back to that time, and Cap knows who Rumlo is apparently, um, even though um, you know, I 
we, we haven't really seen Cap interact with any sort of S.H.I.E.L.D. personnel uh, before the Winter Soldier. Um, so there's that question. There's also the question of, um, you know, the Soul Stone, to get the Soul Stone is, you have to go such, do such a weird trial. Um, how do you go about putting the Soul Stone back? Um, how does that work? How does... Uh, well, I think seems, it's just, it I think, seems, I think seems, that... To answer that, I was just going to answer that quickly and then I want to hear everything else you're saying. I think they just put the soul stone back. I think it just kind of like works like that thing where you're like, well, that you can't reverse it. Back where? Because because you get the soul stone once you've done the sacrifice, then all of a sudden it's in your hand. Where do they actually put it back? Yeah, they just give it to Red Skull and he's like, thank you. He could have used I mean, the only to case, create a lightning bolt into the sky that then reverse engineers it. Well, right. Sure. But my point is like that's a that's like a like a okay something happens on Vormir that we can't explain and then it goes back. But anyway, continue. There were other it. things. There were other things, I mean, about, Yeah. <laughs> what were your other things? Just, there's, there's a ton. I mean, I I'm, I'm not going to list them all, but there's no, a, I'm excited. Uh, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think Cap has a spaceship uh, which he can sort of you know. Um, Make big um, with a pin particle that you take. At least, it's, at least it's not shown uh, that that's the case. So, um, how is he getting to Vormir in the first place? I think that um, that's the, Thor's that. hammer. I think can has that power, doesn't it? Not uh, some of the Bifrost. Storm Stormbreaker has the power. Stormbreaker that, does. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, oh, ooh, flaws. We've got. Oh boy, so no. so so yeah, there's there's things you can do, but I mean, but Amon, you're not you're 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 on the right track, I think, of of saying like these are some things that, of course, in a in a movie this dense, they just get overlooked, or there's a deleted scene that maybe right. even clears the, it up. But like like yeah. like I think uh, you know a, a big one for me that I just sort of gloss over in conversation is, uh, how Thanos, makes in essence. Uh, like, how does he get to, how does he travel through time, right? Okay, so I understand that um, 2014, how... 2014 um, oh God, character Nebula. names are the worst for me. Thank you. <laughs> 2014 Nebula gives him the Pym particle that she has remaining, right? She probably, I guess she has two because she still travels back. So she travels back pretending to be present day Nebula and then she switches on the machine and sends the machine to 2014 so that he can travel through. But how does he do that? What's hap- how I don't understand the meth- the methodology of her coming back using her pim particle to come back and then there's still being enough tools or resources or whatever for him to develop all of the technology needed to travel through time with his whole space army. I didn't get that. I thought it was just uh, she pulled him through. Like, there's a line later where she, he yes. says something like he that. Said, like, yes, oh, thank you for it's definitely a pull me through type deal. But how? They don't. They don't. Well, they never that's... make that. That's never ever discussed ever in the film. In a matter of actually going in back in time to grab things, you can only. You just have a limited time in which you're in no, a place, you... and then you get dragged back. But if you, state. but if you, if you, if you look at time travel as a tunneling aspect, like you build a tunnel through the quantum realm, the the programming devices they're using, which is what Tony says he invents this GPS that they wear on their hands, is them programming a GPS as we know it today means where we are located on Earth, but the GPS within the time realm would mean 
what time, where in the universe, all of these aspects, like a hundred thousand okay. things about but where you are. Get, he didn't get one of those, right? She had to wear it in order but I'm to saying come back. She knew and could program the system to pull from that point in time where he was and pull that through. And I think that's the simplest like explanation. Like, well, he, she set it up to pull him through. It's simple, like but at the same time, I'm yeah. like, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, there were very, they made a very key point that there were only two, two beings on the, in the, galaxy that could figure this out one was tony stark and one was hulk yeah, who couldn't just, really figure it out until that. stark figured it out i know but it's sort of look i just that was a moment that that worked because of how impactful the power of it was right the, yeah, the yeah, things yeah. that happened distract you from being like how did that happen but it, it it's 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 the thing right uh, every coming back to christopher nolan like every christopher nolan movie that's that's uh, like Interstellar or whatever, you know, The Prestige. They all have some thing that people will really just like nitpick on. And for me, when I love a movie, especially like I do Endgame or those movies that, that Nolan has made, my job for myself is to find those holes before somebody else does and tries to shit on this movie so that I can shit back on them. I can't stand <laughs> when somebody has some flawless little gap in a movie to throw at me as to why they think that movie's not worth it. Of course I'll react right, like, with like, look, just the whole like movie yeah. Of and that. I'm like, look, get out of my face. Okay. I'm just not, I'm not here to have this discussion with you, but at the same time, like I'd like to have an answer if there are answers to have. And that's why sometimes, especially with you guys and, and in text and whatever, like I want to have this chat, talk it out before somebody comes at me with a negative attitude about it. Well, I don't think, honestly, I don't think they can be answered directly. Maybe the writers have an answer. Maybe they don't. Maybe there's just like, we could come up with an answer that satisfies it, but it's not what the writers had. But also at the same time, like, uh, I don't know. I kind of want to put this to bed by saying that I, I actually enjoy the time high stuff a lot because it it is basic enough, but also confusing enough to make me intrigued as a sci-fi guy, but also be like, uh, even though I don't totally get it, like, I mean, I get it. I'm just saying like, even though it doesn't all click in and make sense, I'm still enjoying it also because this was their only way to, to, to solve the problem. Like, you know, I like they, that they came to the conclusion that, well, there's three times we can go to, you know, all the three time zones are in New York at this time. We'll go do that. And of course, it becomes also from a, a cinematic writing standpoint, a way to nod back to the original movies, to take us literally like Back to the Future 2 into the first Avengers and do some stuff there and play those scenes out. And that's fun in a way that like I can easily uh, look past it. What What's the term? I always forget it when I need it. Um, to uh, to uh, like, what's it called when you uh, don't believe in reality? I forget. Why am I forgetting this? Suspend your disbelief. There we go. <laughs> this is this is the ultimate. You need to suspend your disbelief movie, and that I agree with you, Mike. I like. Yes, we could sit here and examine every little quote unquote, but also, does that take away from the fact that this movie is a, a, a great, completely satisfying experience? No. And actually, um, the more if they would have tried to answer every question and tie up every time travel loose end that might have diminished from the rest of what we get to see here. And the fact that they pull off all that they do is impressive anyway. And even the last thing I'll say is I love what you said, which is the, the, the power of the moment that Thanos comes through was big to me because it was like, 
okay, he, they've got the, the stones now. They're about to do the snap. Not only is that a huge thing, but right when that happens, then he comes through and you're like, oh my God, there's the whole third act is beginning now. Like there's a whole big showdown. And, and of course it's a, a, a setup to get us there, but also it works in a Look, way the, that- The counter argument bother. is, yeah. the counter argument is it's cinema. Time never works the way it works in real life either. Like they undo the snap and Hawkeye's wife calls him immediately, and yet it takes 30, 30, it, well, it takes, in the movie, it takes, like, what, 15 minutes before everybody comes together through the portals? Uh, I assume that Doctor Strange is busy getting everybody yeah. on the same page at that point. Totally, um, totally, totally but, think uh, that makes sense. But, but, yeah, I mean, so to be honest, the more, you need the more suspension of disbelief for the fact that Thanos completely obliterates the Avengers base, and everybody survives. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even, even like people with no powers, no protection, all yeah. good, fighting in shape, no problem. Um, I will say, like... I will say though that it reminded me of the Iron Man three scene when Iron Man's yeah. when when Tony Stark's mansion is blown up and they're just like thrown back in a way that they would have easily died, uh, and yet they somehow survive at there's least with... even, there's even like a camera shot of like war machine and rocket which feels very very similar to iron man 3 um and how and how and how they're falling um and sliding down but it's interesting my friend uh, helen o'hara writes for empire magazine um she has a theory that there's a callback to every single mcu film uh in this movie and that could be a sort of a small easter egg um yeah, to Iron Man three in that regard. I I certainly love that moment. The silence of that missile coming through was beautiful. Yeah, no, it's really great. well done. Um, yeah. Should we maybe just uh, kind of wrap it up with our favorite moment, like the 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 thing that happened in this movie, that if you had to pick one thing to say, this is the shit you're gonna love. What is it? And let's well, just I mean, cancel I... out Mjolnir. Let's cancel out um, the hammer first. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, all of us probably agree <laughs> the hammer is the best moment. Well, no, see, the thing is, I mean, I, I, mean, I tweeted this, um, obviously, without any spoilers, uh, a couple of days ago, but um, you know, prior to Endgame, Thor coming to Wakanda was my number one moment, as you all know, um, in, in the MCU. Thor in Wakanda is now number three. Uh, <laughs> Cat. Cap with Mjolnir is number two, and On Your Left is number one. Um, there's just the On Your Left, and everything that happens in the ensuing sort of 90 seconds is the high point of the MCU. And you know, I wouldn't say it's not close, but that is a payoff to end all payoffs in, in a massive way. And just the euphoric reaction, uh, which you can't help but have in that moment. Uh, from everything from, you know, characters who we've come to know and love, to score, which is going nuts, to the first, you know, utterance of a catchphrase, which we've all been wanting to hear for years. All of that just sort of comes together and coalesces in a way which is so powerful and memorable. And, um, you know, that, that, that feeling that you feel in that moment I don't think we're going to get another moment in the MCU which is going to better it. With all that being said, 
the first time I saw the Avengers Assemble in 2012, I was I said at the time, I don't think there's gonna be that moment in the MCU which is gonna to top that. And and they have. So um you know, innocent, I would love to be innocent wrong, 2012 but... I'm on. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> remember uh, this is so funny. I mean I say it all the time, but at the time I remember having conversations with people like, how are they gonna balance six characters? It's impossible. <laughs> um and obviously they proved us wrong uh with that. They proved us wrong again with Civil War and they you know, they've just uh, kept going on to, to, to new heights. So um you know, I, w- I would love to be wrong, um, but uh, I don't think uh, anything is going to eclipse that in the MCU or, or in the superhero genre, really, anytime soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with, um, well, first, I'll say my favorite moment after I mention one that we haven't discussed, which is um, the Hail Hydra, Captain America, <laughs> moment, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which great. in and of that's itself, great. I think, is a wonderful moment. And like everybody, that's a payoff moment that I can't wait for somebody who I know to see this movie who hasn't seen Civil War and I, and or Winter Soldier. And I'll just be like, sucks to suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite this, moment, this... though, was like right before uh, the portals when they have that wide shot of Captain America oh, yeah. on the left. And all of Thanos' army on the right. And this just beautiful composition. Yeah. Like, just art. And I can't wait for this movie to come out in a format that I can just grab that in high def and, like, just oh, keep it. There, there'll be about 27 million different options for my desktop background moving forward once once the, once the film comes out on Blu-ray. Um, that, I mean, it's between that shot and the shot. They, they do a wide shot um, just before... Um, the uh, heroes sort of uh, sort of come sort of you know actually the start attacking. Yes, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. so they got like you know people on the ground running full pelt. They got like you know about seven or eight different flyers, you know, hovering above them at the same time, ready to lay at the smackdown. You got Valkyrie just to the left of all that with their Pegasus. Yeah, and you got and and also you also got the Wakandan ships overhead. Giant Ant Man. Um, yeah, giant. Yeah, that that's the shot which I think is going to be my desktop background. Yeah, it's I just realized this giant ant man. Hmm. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Cap Cap leading the armies of Asgard, Wakanda, and Kamataj at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's again. We're, we're never going to see that again. Never going to see something as just sort of geeky as that again. But you know, as I tweeted, you know, I think you re- re- retweeted this, Alex. There's such a ridiculous amount of geeky moments that happens in the final act, which is, is, is there's, there's too many to too many to list. But I mean, yeah. from every, everything from when Thor summons Stormbreaker and Mjolnir at the same time, there I'm sure we can get to uh, if, we, if we really think about it, you know, twenty or so geeky, you know, worth the price of admission by itself moments. Um, and yeah, all of them are very very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, um, Mike. My, my 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 favorites. Well, there's a couple of things I want to mention. One of them is that I love this line that we because we haven't talked about it. Where in that final fight, uh, Wanda comes out and and Thanos is like, I don't know who you are, <laughs> and I love it because it's like it's actually accurate. He has no idea who she yeah. is because <laughs> of the timeline. You're like, oh, okay. Um, and well, I love I mean, that even that even there. even to the timeline in which Thanos. Killed Vision. He still doesn't know who she is. Yeah, yeah. 
But I, but it's just like I, I, you know, it's such a like. Why would they have written that line? But they did, and it's great, and I love it. Um, yeah. But I, I also do love the cap on cap fight. I, I, that's probably my favorite just action moment. Um, even though it's a little short and in there, it's not as impressive. I just love seeing it play out that way. Like I was, I was just aghast I, I, the first time I saw. <laughs> oh, I gotta yes, say, I gotta say, I was initially surprised that. Well, I mean, I still am surprised that, um, you know, present day cap was even in a losing position um, to, you know, old school cap. I say old school cap, it's like 2012 cap. Um, but because, you know, from Winter Soldier onwards, there was a pronounced improvement on cap when it comes to, when it, come, when it came to combat. Um, but I love how cap wins that fight because he knows exactly what to say to give himself breathing room. Uh, and it's a callback to Civil War of sorts because... If you remember after Civil War and after the initial incident, he has that talk with uh, with Scarlet Witch. Um, I say Scarlet Witch; she's never been called Scarlet Witch ever. Uh, with Wonder, um, in which, like he says, like when when uh, Crossbone said Bucky, um, he basically turned into cotton candy, and therefore he sort of used that knowledge of what of what he knew of what of, of how he knew he, he would react if he heard that name uh, to win that fight. And I thought that was very clever. Yeah, there's one I other mean, yeah. moment we didn't discuss, which let's just leave it um, as a as an objectively good moment, which is the the all female gathering. Yeah, I I'm too mind to that moment because whilst you know, uh, you know, I can it it, it 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 I think it only half works because it's very very on the nose. Uh, if that had been organic, then I wouldn't have any any issues with it. But you know, it's hard to even be that organic because. Uh, you know, it's just all the women all of a sudden coming together on the battlefield. You know, they hadn't sort of been fighting together previously, and they also came together. It was, it was very convenient. It doesn't break. And... It doesn't break the ceiling. It breaks the wall. It's it's yeah. it's a hundred percent a cheer moment, and yeah. in the logistics of war and battle, probably not ideal. Uh, just because like their their powers as a unit don't all complement each other, it's not like they said, okay, well at this point we should definitely band all the women together because they're complementing their powers and we can work as a team. I think that I would have I was expecting in that split second that they all came together that there was going to be some form of a sort of like quasi unit um, mode where like you know you see superheroes combine powers sometimes to create a super uh, an ultra superpower and like of course they all have their own strengths and weaknesses and they all work really well and it was just it was a fan service moment um not quite as gratuitous probably as the just like the the oh we'll have a gay character because it deserves it when it wasn't <laughs> I mean, like that argument like i do think that that is the one piece of negative feedback that I agree with at this point. It's like, I, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sort of like lead the charge on this. But the people who are very annoyed by the way that the Russo brothers handled it and are patting themselves on the back in you know interviews and stuff, it's like let's let's slow down here. This is they this is it's it's a, it was a weird move. And <clears throat> probably not the thing that they should consider themselves their own superheroes for doing. <clears throat> but, like, 
there's going to be a future for a, a lot of representation in superhero movies, especially the MCU. And now that they've sort of un- unlocked themselves from this Infinity Saga narrative, I think they're going to have the opportunity to start to really go into those areas. Yeah. Do you know the other, the, the last thing I want that we also haven't talked about that I want to mention, which is also the perfect place to roll credits, is the credits. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I do really admire the the signature because like that's we don't ever see that done that way, and it's the most obvious like almost stepping out of the movie way of being like, hey, thank you for watching these twenty two movies with us. These are the actors who are gonna sign their names on the screen to say to the fans like we owe it to you for watching us for so long. Um, yeah. And I and I I you know the first time I watched it I was like why is it only these guys with the signatures but of course it's the original Avengers crew um, and of course uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s last is the kind of wink and nod he's done and gone thing um, but I but I do really love that way that, that they sign on the credits like it's a, it, it it's so fourth wall breaking to me because it's like. It's like smacking us on the face with, "Hey, these people are just actors, and we 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 love them as their characters, but don't forget that they're actors." But it's also, in a way that is like really uh, like warm as a warm memory of them being like, "Yes, but also they've brought you all this this joy over so many years. Appreciate, you know, we appreciate you as much as you appreciate them," and I like that so much. It was a good way. It was a it was a cool it was a cool way for them to close the credits, and I don't think we needed a post credit scene in this one. Even though, I think Mike, we theorized in our in our last episode that uh, they could have easily tossed in like an X Men thing because they just bought Fox in time, but they they didn't. So it's fine with me. Well, they yeah. also they did yeah. do a little callback to the sound effect of Iron Man putting his suit together, which I thought yeah was cool. yeah 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 then. So yes, <laughs> in that case, uh, right at that moment, no, at this was, moment, we'll end it. But Aman, do you have something to add? Uh, yeah, no, I was just gonna say it was, you know, normally in credits, uh, there's there's not a whole ton of applause from the audience. Uh, not so with Avengers Endgame, and you know, after eleven years, twenty-two movies, Marvel have earned the right to flex a little bit, and that was a flex, and you know, but a well a well earned one, as I say, and. You know, again, you know, I said it before, I said it earlier in this podcast, but I'm just very, very thankful, uh, you know, for for the MCU and uh, the credits is a really good, you know, chance for audiences to show that appreciation. Um, and in both audiences that I've watched this film with, uh, that has been done uh, to very entertaining and satisfying effect. Um, because yeah, these these movies have you know we've grown up with them. At least <laughs> I I remember watching the first time I maybe when I was 19 years old. I, I wasn't a film critic yet. I was a punter, um, and I you know distinctly remember watching that film for you know one of the first for, for the first time. And you know to have been you know to have watched sort of all the MC other other MC movies coming after that in cinema, and you know to you know, have become sort of a film journalist in that time and to appreciate them even more. Um, these movies are a really big deal in, you know, popular culture. And, um, yeah, I, I, I like that uh, the credits uh, give them, give give us a chance to show our appreciation for, for what they did. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, uh, we, we'll have to have you back for the next one. 
the next time. Absolutely. The, of course. Avengers Endgame 2. Maybe we'll do a podcast once with you for like a nice small indie too at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like I was the cumulative to... box office of the movies we've podcasted together is like $8 trillion. Not bad. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was just I was just saying to Alex before we came on there that I've seen a couple of, uh, of films which... Uh, of indie films, which have been, well, I say indie films. There's one indie film which I've seen, there's one sort of mid-budget film which I've seen, both of which have been really good. Uh, so, yeah, if you're ever doing sort of pods on any of those sorts of things, uh, drop me a line, for sure. Cool. Alex, you want to take us away? Uh, yes, thank you for listening. Roll <laughs> <laughs> credits. What closure? It's a pro. <laughs> Roll credits. Where do we find you, Amon? Uh, when I'm not uh, sitting on the porch watching the sunrise of uh, a grateful universe, um, <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at a woman. Um, and uh, my pin tweet right now is my somewhat blockbuster a montage, uh, which I just released a few days ago. Uh, so yeah, feel free to check that out. And I'm Eisentower30 on Twitter. Uh, also, real quick, like final super super tiny extra tidbit. I loved. I loved Thanos's new plan. You know what? I'll just wipe everybody out and I'll start <laughs> a whole new universe. I will be God. You'll just be in, you won't even be in the history books. Nobody will know you ever existed. I love that. What a great comeback, even though it didn't work out for yeah. yeah. Dark ending. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then I guess we're wrapped, right? <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a good ending. I want to end it there. That's like, all right. Darkness.